If we let you carry on running around town, you'll continue to be exceptional, and we can't have that. You'll put us all out of a job. With respect, sir, you can't just make people disappear. Yes, I can. I'm the chief inspector. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Well, wait. Wait a minute, I see what's going on here. Wait a minute. No. Wait a minute. Hello and welcome, welcome and hello. This is Wait You Haven't Seen, the podcast where we find a movie that uh, somebody we know hasn't seen and we talk about it. I'm your host, Travis. Um, joining me this week, I have Christina, uh, Josh, Howdy, and David. Hello. Hey, and uh, this is episode number six, and we are watching uh, Hot Fuzz from 2007. And Christina, you'd never seen this before? Nope, I've actually had it in my library for a while, but every time I see it, something would interrupt me. Yeah. You've seen other Simon Pegg, uh, Edgar Wright films, haven't you? I... Oh yeah, I've seen all the other ones. Okay, I was going to uh... say, I know I've talked to you about uh, Shaun of the Dead before. Mm-hmm. Um, Alright, well, I mean, as somebody who had never seen it before, it's what, 12, almost 12 years old now. Um, what did you think? Oh, I enjoyed it. I mean, it it's their their style is definitely right up my alley. Yes, right up your alley. Ha ha! Straight up mainstream. <laughs> mm. So mimicking it's... Olivia Coleman a little bit there. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, she is great in this. I mean, Academy for... Award winner, yeah, Olivia Coleman. <laughs> yes. So uh, how many how many Academy Award winners were in this movie? Oh man, so Kate Blanchett. Yep. Yep. Oh, so yeah, Christina might not know all of the cameo people that are in this. That's right. So, so Christina, in the beginning of the movie, when uh, when they mentioned Father Christmas, that was Peter Jackson. That quick, that quick one shot, and then uh, his girlfriend Janine. I knew that was someone, and I couldn't remember who it was. Yep, it's Peter Jackson, and then Kate Blanchett is his girlfriend Janine. And I. I think there's a musician in that montage at the beginning. I can't. I, I when I was watching it the other day, I looked at some trivia, and the lead singer or musician of a band was in that too. I, oh, I don't know who it is. Probably <laughs> this movie literally. I think is it was just somebody a, Edgar Wright knows. Yeah, I mean, this movie is literally like, "Hey, are you a British actor? Um, come be in our movie," because they had mm-hmm. everybody. I mean, you know, even down to like Billy Whitelaw. You had you know, obviously Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. But that Stephen one Stephen Merchant just a mild cameo. Yeah, Stephen Merchant for like two lines. You had one scene where it's it's Martin Freeman, Steve Coogan, mm. and Bill Nighy just back to back to back. Like I love that. Um, and then all the people in the town, you know, Weaver and Skinner and Treacher, and all of them are yeah. all British actors. Of uh, even Bill Bailey getting a, a very small oh, yeah. part or two. This small movie. Parts. This movie started my theory that, and kind of confirmed it, um, that if you once played James Bond, <laughs> you would also make a kick-ass villain. Mm. 
Go well, back through James Bonds and think of them as villains, and they're like, yes, they're good. <laughs> uh, when did Sean Connery ever play a villain? Uh, oh, I have not. Nope, I know oh. something. I know something he did. Um, it, he was neither a good villain nor was it a good movie, though. Um, <laughs> do any of you remember the movie The Avengers? Not Marvel's Avengers, mind you, but The Avengers based on the TV the... show from the 60s. Oh, with Thurman yeah. Ray Fung? Yes. So they made a movie of that in the 90s, and Sean Connery is in it as the villain. And uh, let me tell you, number one, that movie's a steaming pile of dog shit. Mm. Um, I saw it in the theater. <laughs> I'm sad to say, well, it was the play bad. On that is that Bond is playing the villain, so it's you know it's another spy thing. So. Yeah, but oh man, it was just oh it was so bad. <laughs> it was so bad. Um, but uh, I think other than that, I can't think of another time Sean Connery's played a villain. But but um, Timothy Dalton in this was epic. Mm. Like he's just having the time of his life playing this character. You can tell. I love that. Yeah, I well. I I only recently watched uh, the Rocketeer for the first time, and oh, yeah. you know enjoying him in that. But then seeing him in this, and like you can tell he's just chewing the scenery, having fun with the role. Yep. Oh yeah, which guy? Uh, Timothy uh, Dalton. Skinner. Oh yeah, yeah. Skinner. There was um, there's a the trivia. Slasher. Yeah, there's a trivia bit where um, the scene with him and Simon Pegg going back, you know, off each other in the office. He. He came in, did his part, they shot all of his stuff, and the next day they were doing Simon Pegg's. And he came in, got into full makeup and, and costume, I think, and then sat opposite Simon Pegg, even though they weren't going to shoot him the entire day, just to read lines back and forth with him. Like, mm. that's a pro, because he didn't have to do that. Yeah, I've heard about um, when they get the coverage, like, people that really care, like if it's a really emotional scene, they like to have the actual talent there. Mm -hmm. Like a stand-in really wouldn't evoke the same connection. Um, but like I've heard, I think like Lord of the Rings and stuff, you know, projects that people really like were passionate about or really enjoyed being in, like they're there even if they're not on call that day because they're just like, yeah, I want to be part of this. Yeah. Which, you know, and, and it shows you get, even though you, it's it's kind of like salt in your food, you'd miss it if it wasn't there. You wouldn't notice it until it's until that doesn't happen. But you get yeah. better performances that way. Um, but yeah, getting back to the cast, I mean, just it's amazing going through and looking at like Steve Merchant. Uh, what was it, Carl? Carl Johnson is PC Bob Walker. You got Patty Considine as one of the Andes. Mm. Um, I mean, Jim Broadbent. I know I've seen. Both of the Indies in different things, but I, I couldn't tell you who they are. <laughs> but I know I've seen both of them in things. Yeah, Patty, Patty Considine's done uh, a few. He's done a lot of British films. Um, he had a small part in one of the Bourne movies. I think it was uh, Ultimatum mm. um, that I remember pretty good. Uh, I've seen Rafe Spall, the other Andy, in, in other things, but uh, same thing. I can't tell you what at yeah. all. Um, but no, it was just great. Stuart Wilson, the, the doctor, Dr. Hatcher was the villain in, uh, lethal weapon three, I think. And the priest is of course, Belloc from yes. oh, Indiana yeah. Jones, Paul Freeman. And it was funny because, so I saw this in the theater and I knew who Paul Freeman was based on him being Belloc. And I hadn't seen him in anything since Raiders of the Lost Ark, except for he did a series of commercials. And I remember seeing those on TV thinking, wait a minute, that's the dude from, from Raiders. I haven't seen him in anything in like 20-something years. And then he showed up in this movie that same year. 
Mm. Um, huh. Interesting. Yeah. So one of the things I love about this movie is the script. Like just the. Oh yeah. So on, I know. <laughs> well, so one of the things one of the things I love about the script is the entire thing, basically, is either the setup or the payoff of a joke. Like every line yeah, yeah. sets up or pays off a joke at some point, even if it's set up in the beginning and paid off at the end or right after each other or you know little things like the greater good is never spoken once. It's always the greater good. Yeah, it's always yeah. spoken twice. Um, it's just it's such a well written comedy script but i know josh you were saying something before about the structure of it uh, that i thought was interesting what was that yeah so i i like i seen that i saw it in the theater and i've seen it multiple times over the years um but re-watching it for this i was watching it like more uh objectively i guess and i realized one it has that narration for like the first like minute and a half and it's literally the entire setup for the movie and essentially the entire first act because the first act usually ends with point of no return. The main characters on their voyage. So like within two minutes, angels being talked about, Oh, we need you to leave. And then boom, the most of the movie is second act, (laughs) which I thought was ridiculous. And that narration doesn't come back later either. So it's literally at the beginning. It doesn't come back ever. It's, it's such an oddly structured movie, but like you said, all setups and payoffs, it's very tight and consistent. So it works, but it's completely unconventional. It's, it's not the way you would be taught to write a script. Right. At all. And especially not a comedy script, but it works because they, I think it works because of the way, the way they execute what they wrote, they wrote it. It's all, it's almost as if they knew, well, not almost as if they knew what they were doing going into writing it. Right. And what they wanted out of it. And it's one of those where it's it's a parody, but I don't even want to call it a parody of action movies. It's like a, a love letter to action movies. And yeah, kind of like Airplane was a parody, but it wasn't, it had enough of its own authenticity that it ascended to become its own thing. Yeah. And I think uh, Edgar Wright's movies do that too. They're like, we're like Shaun of the Dead. It's a cult classic, but it's like it's mimicking things, but it became its own thing because it did it so well. Yeah, Basically, I, like Spaceball or uh, Spaceballs. Most anything, Mel Brooks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and and the thing what I that I think makes them last and hold up, you know, because I I watched this movie yesterday and it still holds up for me twelve years later. Mm-hmm. Is it's it's a loving send up. Of those things, they're not making mm-hmm. fun of action movies. They're not making fun of the the quote unquote source material that they're basing this off of. They're right. poking fun at it, but they're doing it out of a place of like we love action movies, but let's face it, some of the stuff in it's kind of ridiculous. Let's riff on that. Or the mm-hmm. same thing with Shaun of the Dead and zombie movies, like taking the tropes of something like a like a zombie movie and kind of putting it on, on its head and looking at it from another angle, but doing doing it in a way, it's sort of the opposite of, like I see, I stopped watching South Park for a long time because um, I noticed them, at least at times, they would just sort of make fun of something that they didn't like or, I don't know, it, it was it's hard to put it, it was done from a place of like meanness, 
it's like parasitic almost. Yeah. And it's like, I can't make this without taking away from you, which then itself becomes, you're not making a joke. You're just hurting. So yeah. And that's, that's easy to do. I can sit and make fun of whatever I, I get, you know, people can make fun of me all they want. It's easy to do something like that. It's harder to do what Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg do, which is with, especially with these movies, which is take something that they really, really like and find the goofy flaws in it and, and point those out, but still make something that, I mean, this was the last 30 minutes of hot fuzz is every <laughs> cliche and trope in an action movie in one scene. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's awesome. It's so good. And it's such a great payoff for all the buildup of the first hour and a half of that movie. Yeah. It, yeah, it, especially, especially okay. with him, uh, asking, uh, asking him, you know, did you do, have you done this? Have you done this? Yeah. Have you done this? And at the end, yes, they did. They did all of those things. Yeah. Well, what I noticed, um, so I was saying earlier about it being like unconventional. Normally your main character goes on a journey, like literally place to place, but also like as a person and there's growth. And in this it's actually, it's a fish, it's a fish out of water story, but the fish doesn't adapt to the climate. The climate is affected by his presence. And it's like, he's essentially the same at the end of the movie as he is in the beginning. And everyone else around him has changed. Yeah. Because you know, the whole, the whole thing with him is he can't switch it off. And at the end, he still can't switch it off. It's not any better. He's just everything around him has morphed uh, to fit in with him, which, you know, it's an interesting look at that. But And I would make the case that being with um, Nick Frost's character and getting to, in a weird way, I think the, the police force in London were intimidated by him. Oh, definitely. And so coming to this area, everyone's kind of given him a hard time, which is endearing in a sense and like warms him up. I, I, he doesn't, I don't think he softens up. I think he just is in a better element where he's more appreciated. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And because so, they're, they're in awe of him yeah. or at least, uh, you know, Danny is. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did like that. The first draft of the script included a love interest for Nicholas uh, named Victoria. And then, According to this, she was cut from subsequent drafts, but a good amount of her dialogue was given to Danny, <laughs> often without any changes to it at all. They just gave the lines to him. You could, you could definitely tell, like, there were scenes where if it was a rom-com, it would have been, like, moving towards a kiss, like, that right. sort of uh, lean in. Like, when they were about to watch the movie, they they didn't sit apart from each other. They were hip to hip. Yep. They, were, uh, they were leaned in. You want to come in for a... Coffee? I need caffeine after How about a beer? Yeah, I'll do that. Well, especially after that monkey was for you. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's so you were talking about like the they call out and reference specific things, and like them crashing on the couch was very much like uh, Shaun of the Dead and all of the little like rom com moments. But it was they didn't like they kind of hung a lantern on all their little jokes that you knew were references, but the bromance level of it, that was just the script as it was. I don't think they needed to put more effort into it. Just letting it play, like letting like playing it straight makes it better. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, definitely. And of course, you know, it has the, the callbacks to, um, 
what they do in all the Cornetto movies with the whole running through the fences in the garden. Um, <laughs> yeah. This is actually probably my favorite of them just because of the way it's <laughs> just the timing. The build-up and payoff. Yes, yeah. the payoff is so good with Nick Frost just falling right through the fence. Uh, I love that. Um, it's. A, I think this is the most physical. I mean, I think they might. They probably cover more ground in World's End, but I think this is the more physical because Simon Pegg does a lot of running in this movie. He does. He does a lot of it, and all of it in a polo shirt, which I thought was yeah. weird. Like, who runs in a polo shirt? Proper <laughs> Brits. Apparently. Um, you know, another thing this movie did is in the edit, um, the way they would cut together scenes. So I know uh, Edgar Wright talked about how they they were inspired by like Tony Scott style movies for all of the, you know, paperwork montage or the traveling montages, the way they shot those, yeah. the, the way they did it visually. And I loved that kind of spin on things where he takes the mundane thing of filling out paperwork and shoot it like a crazy action scene. Um, was It just, it gave something else between that and then the sound, the sound mm. edit in this movie is great. If you, especially if you get a good pair of headphones on while you're listening to it. Just the where they would punch up certain sounds or overplay certain sounds for comedic effect or just to, like, give you a jolt. It was it was just really well done. Um, yeah. That and having stylized seen, in, sound. Having seen Baby Driver, which he had the idea for that way before any of the Cornetto stuff happens, but, like, mm. seeing how Baby Driver was executed you see that there are certain things that he's had that Edgar Wright's had standard in almost all of his movies, like sound editing and that crispy audio. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's another one of those things that you wouldn't notice. It would completely change this movie if the sound wasn't done the way it is. Like, right. The beginning of the movie, he's sitting in the police station, he's talking to everybody and it's just a constant cacophony of like phones ringing and sound in the background. And that Ooh. alone can take a, a shot that, you know, is pretty pretty boring on itself, just sitting at a table. But now it makes it seem like you're in London in a busy police department. And, you know, it's little things like that, just the way that they shot, the, put the sound together, or how much they would, you know, somebody putting a hand on somebody's shoulder and they'd add a bunch of sound effect to that to, like, make it, make it sound like more than what was actually going on type stuff. I really yeah, like that. Everything was very uh, deliberate and intentional. And mm -hmm. it's interesting because uh, structurally, thinking about it from the beginning, the, the movie is, it's, it's a police thriller, buddy cop, like, mystery. Um, but, like, it's, it's predictable in the sense that, like you said, everything that's set up is paid off. So you know everything's going to come back. But there's almost as much effort put into misdirects. Mm -hmm. And I oh, think definitely. like right right off the bat with uh, the first shot, he's walking into the police station. You hear his footsteps. There's no other audio, so you're you know okay. Beginning of the movie, let's see what's happening. We're paying attention. Bam! They hit you with the narration. It's fast paced. You're paying attention. You're in the office. We're just feeding you exposition, plot set up, and then within five minutes, we're into uh, Sanford, Gloucestershire. Yeah. So you're like, okay, that was a roller coaster of information. I think I retained all of it, but we're just going to enjoy the rest of it. And at that point, you're kind of numbed to all of the pieces of information that 
if you were actively paying attention, you'd be like, oh, I can see how all of this has been played out from the beginning. But it like washes over you because they're misdirecting you here and there with every shot, basically. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. And then, you know, from a plot standpoint, just the... I loved how they build it up, build it up, give you this whole big conspiracy. Everything fits together so perfectly. No, it's not any of that. <laughs> <laughs> what? And again, that, that itself is a misdirect because every time he's suspicious of Skinner or somebody else, he's not wrong. He's just wrong about the motives. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. it's like, oh, no, no, we, we killed those people. But it was because we didn't like the look of this or we didn't like that. And I also didn't realize. I always and he was people. equally stunned. Oh yeah, you killed them because he was a, uh, you know, a human statue. He was, he was, uh, <laughs> he, he was, was a damn dirty hippie or no gypsy or crusty whatever. Crusty jugglers, yeah, crusty <laughs> jugglers. We'll be up to our balls and jugglers. Just ah, oh, yep. I love, I love that subversion. Um, one thing that I wasn't really picking up on, but Bridget pointed out to me, and she'd seen it before, but totally forgotten it. But uh, she sort of pointed out at the beginning. The first, I don't know, 50% of the movie is kind of filmed in like a horror-esque. Lots of like wide, ambiguous shots where like something could happen on the left side, something could happen on the right side. And at the same time, also lots of like tied up stuff. Mm. And uh, I, I, I mean, I thought it was an interesting take because they definitely, you know, it, it started as like, a, oh, that's interesting. But then the first time you see the killer when he kills the people who murdered Bill Shakespeare, um, first time you see it, it's sort of like, oh, maybe this is kind of, they were kind of building up to horror. And I think, or, you know, thrillery, sort of more. It's felt like dark. Scream. Yeah. 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 And sort of. Slasher. So yeah. Sort of a gloomy outlook. Well, almost. you know, Edgar Wright, is, he doesn't do anything by accident, I don't. I don't believe at all. Mm. And so I really think that, you know, coming he's coming off of Shaun of the Dead. And so if you think about it, it kind of makes a little bit of sense that he would at least use some of that to kind of reel people in in the first third of the movie. And well, build I... off of that. And then you can go in your clear in a completely different direction with the way they shot all of the action stuff at the in that big mm-hmm. climactic battle. Yeah. I mean, and if you think about it, it is kind of a slasher movie. Yeah, mixed in with, with the uh, action movie. Yeah, that mystery, misdirect, suspense element. Yeah. Uh, but even when you think you know what's going on, you still have that question of doubt because everything is, like, just out of focus. Yep. Yeah, yeah. everything's just you don't quite have the whole picture yet. Um, yeah, and that was good. I also um, <clears throat> I wrote this down because I. I don't know how many times I've seen this movie. I never caught the reference to the movie Chinatown before. Mm, yeah. I didn't pick up on that until this time either. Okay. I'm glad I'm not the only one. I was like, I was floored by that, that how did yeah. I not notice that before? Um, and it's so such was, a throwaway line. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> I was, also didn't because I don't, I haven't seen it. Well, yeah, but you haven't seen anything. You're still, you're, you're still That's a baby. Fair. Um, it was when he's standing in the the glow of the taillights of the car as Danny's taking him out of town. And, uh, yeah. you know, he's like, I can come back with the whole force and da-da-da-da. And um, Danny goes, wow, what the exact line is like. It, it's like, forget it. Forget it's, it, Sean. Forget it, Nick. It's, or, yeah. Or, Nick, yeah. Sean, Jesus. 
<laughs> we know For, what you mean. Forget it, Nick. It's Sanford. And that's a, a famous sure. line from the end of a movie called Chinatown. Uh, Basically, like, your efforts are wasted. You're not going to change the system. So it's one of those that it's a re- if you've seen Chinatown, you catch that reference, or at least you do on your uh, 27th viewing of the movie. So, yeah. well, let's. I was gonna say of all the things, like I can, I feel like I can replay this movie in my head, but watching it, you know, a couple days ago, there are so many things that I forget about, like when he gets to the castle and everyone's there in their you know capes and stuff when he's leaving, I forget that he crashes through the ground and you see a camper and you see pretty much all of the kids he arrested, mm-hmm. the, the, the shoplifting guy, the statue. And I realized, I forget, like these people actually have killed a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. But yes, also they have. him doing his job literally was putting targets on everybody in town. Like they would have lived otherwise because there wouldn't have been like a record of their, Misjust, mis, misdeeds or whatever, but right. because he brought them in, oh, now we have a black mark on our town. We're going to have to do something about that. Yeah, that I hadn't so, thought about that. In, in that a weird way. way, he kind of made them kill everybody, <laughs> <laughs> except the human statue. That guy had to go. Right. <laughs> Definitely. Poor guy. Um, and he's oh, dead yeah. with his shocked face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't break character. He's a great yeah. living statue. Uh, very <laughs> now he's just a statue. Um, uh, moment and that little bit of humor just ties it together (laughs) that's what makes it that's what makes it a simon Pegg, edgar wright nick frost movie is stuff like that where you're this big long thing and then just that that touch of levity but it's Mm -hmm. the way it's handled it's handled well yeah Um, it's enough to throw you off yeah even little things like uh when they're they're in the their shootout in the uh, supermarket and you notice that all of them have rifles and stuff that still have the evidence tags on them. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I noticed that this time, Amy. Oh, like, I I think I noticed it, but I hadn't, like, mentally taken note of, oh, that's why those are, yeah. yeah and even the mine, even the mine, that's another, oh, yeah, they dealt with this in a scene, and then it was in the evidence locker. And, of course, the end of the movie, we have to pay it off. It's a Chekhov's mine. Yeah, like, exactly. I think every... every <laughs> Actually, that makes sense that it was so bloody or so gun heavy at the end of it was probably every single gun that they procured from that guy's place, who they also killed. Yeah. Um, every single one of those guns was fired. Yeah, that was so just it... a Chekhov's armory. Yeah. Um, oh, and, and this was, I mean, Shaun of the Dead was bloody. It's a zombie movie. They're going to be bloody. Mm. But this movie was... Very, like, visually... Uh, I remember in 07 seeing it in the theater. I don't know why, but I wasn't prepared for the gore that I saw mm. in it. And I think it's because seeing a trailer for it, I'm thinking, okay, action movie, great. And, I, you know, you just picture action movies like, yeah, guys get, you know, people get blown up or get shot, but you don't see, like, a church steeple, part of the church land on somebody's head and just yeah. obliterate their head. Like, the movie is kind of brutal in that way. Um, Which is also reflected at the end with Timothy Dalton being impaled by the model church people. So it's everything, like, I do auditing, so, like, for my job, so, like, everything has to be in two places. So when you see that symmetry and payoffs, Mm -hmm. it's great. So 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually I'm actually happy you brought up the gore factor because this is budgeted as like an action comedy and I felt first time I did this I felt the gore was just super badly done gore. Like I know it was 2007, whatever, but I'm sure if you compare this to like a saw movie or whatever that came out around that time, the gore in this is just ridiculous over the top which brings it right back around to comedy because of how bad it is yeah but it's you not know, like grindhouse level over the top yeah it's respectable it's over the top yes and <laughs> it's, it's cartoonish it's, it's cartoony yeah. but it's still like um well executed and on the sort of bringing it back around to comedy thing something that i feel like ruins a lot of worse comedy is having the jokes be somewhat explained to you. Mm-hmm. And one one of the things that this movie does is it doesn't explain a lot and it keeps it funny, but the jokes it does explain to you, it brings back around to comedy, specifically with the um, the the very aggressively country older police officer, Bob Walker, uh, and then <laughs> Olivia Coleman would state a line and then he'd just go, <laughs> tits. And, that, that, and that'd be the whole... That'd be the whole bring it back around because if if some people wouldn't get that stuff, (laughs) yeah, and he brings it back around to funny because of how absurd him explaining the joke is. Yeah, yeah, and even like he he never failed to make me laugh. Oh no, he's gold the whole movie, and you know there's other little things like did you catch? um, And I'm pretty sure Josh, you probably have caught this by now, and David, but Christina, did you catch in the car chase at the end? when Nick Frost is firing out the window and he's yelling, bang. Yeah. Like, yeah. like a little kid. It's so... Like, that's... Bang, that is bang, well, that, such his character to do that. Like, his character would do that in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but when he was, you know, right when Angel started and he was, like, grilling him, have you ever been shot? Have you ever uh, jumped through the air screaming, firing two guns? Have you ever jumped through the air firing one gun? Yeah. Um, he, yeah. I, they did I all of asked, that. Did you yep. shoot a gun out of a car chase mm-hmm. while yelling bang, bang, bang? And it's just another callback. And it's, <laughs> but you're right. It's exactly what he would do. What's what's interesting. And I'm not going to lie. I might if I <laughs> was in this scenario. Well, so actually, because apparently I don't know how, I mean, I'm not on film sets, but I believe that's one of the biggest hurdles they have with like gun scenes is, is training the act, the talent to like pull the trigger and not say bang because like you're not hearing you're not hearing a bang and your brain wants to hear it so a lot of right. people are like i've it. read that was a big problem with the star wars movies and you and mcgregor going <laughs> yeah. you know making the lightsaber noises and again i would do the same <laughs> yeah that's actually a good point i probably would too i've done it in some of the stuff that i shot um when i was in like in my teens some of the, vid- the movies that we did, I can remember uh, being told to, you know, shut up. You don't need to make the sound. We'll put it in after. Yeah. Um, and failing to realize, oh, they're picking up my audio. This is no, just for my oh. benefit. <laughs> and they um, can see my mouth moving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the worst part of it. Um, so did you guys notice, of course, that nobody, you know, for all the killing and all the people that die in this movie, the whole last action sequence, nobody dies? Nobody dies. Oh yeah. And, yep. And yeah. and <laughs> that Timothy it's Dalton only... 
Seymour Skinner, or Simon Skinner, Seymour Skinner, geez, doing it again. Uh, he's the only person in the movie to actually get injured by an accident. <laughs> yeah. Because he slips on that fire truck or whatever it was in the model village and falls. Everyone his else own. is deliberate, and he slips yeah. on his own thing. Like, yeah. I, Well, there was the captain. The captain. Because of the goose. Oh, well, but that's not yeah, really... Like, well, he didn't injure it, he oh, died. he lived through that, yeah. No. Yeah, he lived. Yeah, because he was at the end of it. Yeah, he was in the montage when they were doing all the paperwork. Yeah, and then the the mine blew up. Yeah, that was the... destroyed, uh, though. I, which, again, I forget about that. Like, yeah. I forget, how did this movie end? Right, the whole station blows up. Which, <laughs> having seen World's End only once, but the apocalyptic ending to that really threw me off. And I'm like, wow, Hot Fuzz kind of has a very everything the destroyed yeah. ending too. I hadn't even thought of. It, it kind of almost felt like, a, you know, wow, we're not really sure how to end this. We don't have a way to wrap it up, so let's just blow something up. Blow whatever it It's It's kind of funny comparing it to the end of Shaun of the Dead where it kind of just ends and he's just feeding his buddy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Literally, the world has been destroyed at the end of the movie. <laughs> It seems to happen in like every one of these movies too. Um, yeah, I, I just twelve years, twelve years on, it still holds up. I, I do not get tired of this movie. Yeah, you know? and I had sort of put off watching this movie for a while. I probably first saw it maybe twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen. You know, I had sort of seen it and heard, oh, hey, it's a good movie. I was like, yeah, whatever. First time I watched it, thought, hey, that was pretty good. And then I watched it again like two weeks later and said, wow, this is really good. And I think honestly, Travis, I think this was about the time I started working with you and we were starting to talk about movies a lot. And this movie I think came up and I think I had convinced other people how good this movie was without even like fully seeing it myself. (laughs) And then I think, I think the time I finally realized how good this movie was was when I convinced my mom to watch it and she loved it. <laughs> and she's like, that's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And I was like, I know. And we, it was like the first time I'd watched it with someone actively. And, you know, we were talking about it after it. It's just sort of cemented it. Uh, in my probably top movies of all time. It's brings the hits. It really does, you know, and it's sad that it didn't do better commercially. Yeah, it only had a it had a seven point nine on IMDb, which that's seems criminal to me. Yeah, uh, you know, eighty one Metascore, but like box office wise, it only did twenty three million in the U.S. And yeah. oh, I think I mean, Shaun of the Dead hit at like a good time in like the zombie. Yeah, that's true. I guess hasn't died because Walking Dead is still on, but you know. Um, yeah, but, but is it though? Eh. <laughs> but um, Hot Fuzz, six people who watch it love it. I think if Hot Fuzz was made, uh, I don't know. Like there, there hasn't been. I mean, there hasn't been a Bad Boys since Bad Boys Two, and there hasn't. There, I think you guys have mentioned Cop Out um, on a recent episode. Uh, I know. Yeah, I did. I remember yeah. talking about that. You, you, you were talking about um, Die Hard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you were talking about cop out buddy cop movies. And like Kevin Smith, they couldn't really get a buddy cop movie to work, partially Bruce Willis, but also I don't think there was like an appetite for it 
at the time. And I think Hot Fuzz was just a hard sell because people who didn't know Nick Frost and Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright would just say, oh, what's this? Eh, I don't feel like watching a cop movie, you know. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, it's, you know, it's a buddy cop movie. It's a British movie. It's a British comedy. Like, there's a lot of things playing against it for a U.S. market, especially. Because okay. I, I know people that won't go and see um, or don't care to watch uh, a British comedy just because either, A, they're not into kind of the deadpan that British comedy can be, but also, you know, I hate to say it, but I get a lot of people that are like, I can't understand them. Depending you know, on the dialect. Depending yeah. on the dialect, and, and that can push a lot of people off. So there's people that won't that may have missed this movie just based on it not being an American film um, mm. in that respect. So, yeah, no, that I think it was, you're right, it's probably a confluence of a lot of things that caused I to it. I totally happen. get not wanting to, you know, watch a movie that you're not familiar with people in it. Uh but I happen to be familiar with these people because, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's like me not wanting to watch, you know, like a French movie. I'm sure there's, you know, kick-ass French movies that we're probably missing out on, but yeah. I don't want to watch it because <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. Yeah. One I can oh. tell you in particular is called Wasabi. And if you haven't seen that before, that. you should, because it's a great action movie, but it's in, it's all in French. It's also... I think it, we could also probably call it like Studio Ghibli syndrome. Like, yeah, those are some of the best movies, animated movies ever made, and they never really do that well. Like, yeah, I mean, one won an Oscar. We'll ignore that for the moment. <laughs> um, yeah. But later on, they just sort of got ignored, and they're really good. Yeah, and I think that's because, why you see a lot of uh, a lot of foreign films, a lot of British, French, Japanese films get remade for an American audience because you can take that same story, remake it with American actors and you're going to, from a business standpoint, the feeling is that you're going to get more people to go out and see it. And a lot of times it does work. The downside yeah. to it is the people that know the source material that know where it came from get upset because why remake it? It's a perfectly good movie as it is. You know, Ringu, yeah. Ringu is a great horror movie. Why make the ring? Kind Naomi of Watts. You know who she is. Right, don't exactly. People like, don't people like The Ring, though? No, I the like ring The Ring. Was, the first one the wasn't too was, bad. Yeah. Uh, it was basically scene for scene, the original movie, just Americanized. Yeah. And I felt like the ending, like the, the twist. Well, I, Japanese sure. cinema is one slow, steady buildup to a spike at the end. So Americanized, like, chop, 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 chop. We have to have action beats every yeah. five minutes. But I thought they did the end part fairly well in the american version yeah and you see it a lot with british stuff uh too where you'll get you know something that's a really well done um tv i think it happens more with british things than it does movies you see a lot of uh french and japanese movies get remade um but i think it's just business it's purely that the general public isn't going to go see a movie I yeah mean, brotherhood of the wolf I don't. I don't know if any of you saw that, but that's a great movie. It's a fun. Well, okay, fun might not be the best <laughs> word for it, but it's a it's a well made action movie. You know, it doesn't try to be too much, but it's French, so you're either yeah. watching it dubbed or you're watching it with subtitles. And so it came over here and didn't do didn't do jack at the box office. 
I think it was in our mm-hmm. local theater here for like a, a, an hour and a half. <laughs> so, Once. Yeah. That that was a definite word of mouth. But that, that was also like the internet was still kind of early at that point. But I remember that being basically your friend's friend told them about it. And then you found it at the video store. And wow, this is amazing. Yep. It feels like a secret almost. That's kind of what Hot Fuzz was to me. You know? I can see yeah. that. I mean, we saw it opening weekend, 2007, and it was not a full theater. Not to date myself. <laughs> I was 12 when it came out. Oh, I know. I know. So and it's perfectly it's not reasonable. Something I could have gone and seen in theaters, right? Yeah. So as an adult, uh, you know, I like heard about it. Like, ah, I kind of miss that. It's like not doesn't really sound like my thing. And here it is, the definition of my thing. Yeah, yeah. It it is your thing. Um, <laughs> well, so where was I going to go? I don't even remember now. I just completely lost my train of thought. But Christina, we haven't heard from you in a few minutes, so. Um, you you did you like the movie? I mean, you've seen oh yeah, you've seen Shaun of the Dead. Mm-hmm. You've seen have you seen The World's End? Yep. Okay, so <clears throat> let's go around the table. Who um, starting with Christina with the Cornetto trilogy? Since you've seen all three of them, um, how would you rank them if you had to? Uh, basically three, two, one. Okay, so, so you... at World's End, Hot Fuzz, then Shaun of the Dead. Really? Okay. All right. Uh, David, how would you rank them? 213. 213? Okay. Yep. Uh, Josh? Yeah, I would say 2-1-3. Yeah. I actually agree with that, too. It, I I just think Hot Fuzz, to me, is the most polished, well-put-together, paced, written of the three of them. So it's sort of, I mean, all three are good. I, I liked The World's End. I thought it was really, really good. But it sort of suffered from it followed Hot Fuzz. So you have the people that want to see it because it's part of this kind of quote-unquote universe or whatever you want to say. Trilogy, but yeah. This trilogy, like, they're coming off of Hot Fuzz that for most people, most people think it's the best of the three. So there's always going to be that letdown. But it's interesting, Christine, that you like World's End. Was it just the sci-fi aspect of it that you liked better? Yep. Okay. The sci-fi and the what the what the frick is going on here um, kind of aspect to it, where everything, where with the other two, it was straightforward. Did you see World's End before Shaun of the Dead? Yes. Okay, that might be part of it because I think your entry into it probably like see, going from Shaun to Hot Fuzz, the transition there. They're both comedies. They both have horror elements. It kind of works. I, feel I like, think. Oh, go ahead. I think, I think my original three I watched all within like a week of each other for the first time. <laughs> oh wow! So I think I think I had the like the most raw comparison at the time because they're all still pretty fresh. Could not tell you which one I watched first though. <laughs> yeah, and I assume Travis, like myself, saw all of them in the theater. So <laughs> I actually missed the World's End in the theater. It kind of came out at a time where I wasn't able to get to a lot of movies in the theater. It was just personal reasons and couldn't afford to do a whole lot outside of work. Yeah, but, but you still um, had that couple of years between Hot yeah. Fuzz and that. Oh yeah. yeah, yep. I still had you know a little bit of time between the two, and um, you know just being a fan of of Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg, like and Nick Frost, I had to watch it. Um, but yeah, for me, it was love Shaun of the Dead. Then I saw Hot Fuzz, and at first, 
my initial reaction was, I really like Hot Fuzz, but Shaun of the Dead is still my favorite because it was it was my first. It was the first one of those that I had seen. With the benefit of hindsight, with having seen them multiple times now, definitely for me, Hot Fuzz is the uh, the best of them. And it's it comes back to what I opened the show with, which is everything in the movie sets up and then pays off. There's yep. nothing left hanging. It's just it's so tightly done. Well, it makes me think about um, Wes Anderson's movies. Like I love the Royal Tenenbaums. I think I saw it like, six times in the theater. I brought people to see it. I, it was hilarious. Life Aquatic came out, and I thought that's okay. <laughs> but over time, I've watched Life Aquatic way more than I've watched Royal Tenenbaums. Royal Tenenbaums, like I know the beats, I know the jokes, and I, I think that's the same with like Shaun of the Dead. I can quote and recite that movie, but I can't encapsulate all of hot fuzz in my brain and i can't encapsulate all of life aquatic in my brain so my well, appreciation has grown over time with viewings yeah i I, I definitely gained or noticed things even just watching it two days ago uh yeah. and it's interesting yeah, I mean, I didn't realize how much Timothy Dalton was in the movie. For whatever reason, like in my brain before, so I, hadn't, I probably hadn't watched it in a year or two. And before watching it yesterday, you know, I had it in my brain that he's got like a few, you know, not a glorified cameo, but he's in the movie a lot more than I remembered. Mm. Um, you know, little things like uh, that. I I thought he was in the movie less than like Jim Broadbent um, as the chief inspector, but he he's in the movie more. He, he really is the, the main antagonist. So yeah, there, there are definitely things about this one and I can quote this movie a lot. And I do use quotes from this movie <laughs> on a daily basis. Um, but I think, I, I know I have said, lock me up when I'm like reducing the price on things. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm a slasher. Catch me later. Of prices. Uh, he, oh man, his lines were so good. I just, I, I have yeah. to go back to that. He was having so much fun. Just, I think I described it to somebody earlier today as just syrupy. Like everything he said was just dripping. Yeah, and yeah, it, you know, I think it's the stereotypical American view of British eloquence uh, in presented in Timothy Dalton as everything he says is smooth as butter. Every one of his actions, even if it sounds grim, like I'm a slasher or I'd love to bash your brains in and find something, sounds like, oh, that was kind of nice. <laughs> like, well, plus uh, like, he was more uh, he was more refined in his speech than anybody. Like he didn't refer to the detectives as the Andes; it was the Andrews. You know, there's little things <laughs> yeah. like that that it just made made his performance so great. When you think about it, like everybody in this movie had a great performance. I mean, Simon Pegg. This is such a different character from Sean. You know, Sean in Sean of the Dead is very. He just he's a he's a man child that more incompetent. Yeah, he yeah. doesn't have a direction, and it's the polar opposite of Nick. Nick Angel is like hyper focused and too much uh, into what direction he's going. That. Um, you know, to his detriment with his personal life. So, yeah. you know, a totally different reason why his personal life is falling apart from Sean. You know, and, and Sean then... had Sean had like ample 
agency opportunities in that movie and he didn't do anything with it. Mm -hmm. And then when he started to step up, because he does drive that movie. But in this, Angel, to an extent, has no agency because he's literally just doing his job. He's bound by the law and he's doing everything by the book. So To a high degree, yeah. Yeah, so his agency is somewhat removed, but he doesn't... He... He doesn't invest in himself. He doesn't do things for his own. He's basically serving the purpose. Yeah. No, that's so, a good way to put it. Yeah. You know, and then uh, you have, like, Nick Frost plays two versions of the same character. Because he's basically a man-child in both movies. But yeah. it's like, in the first movie, he's a man-child because he just doesn't want to grow up. He just wants to be, like, 18 for his entire life and just sit at home and play video games and sling weed. And in this movie, he's a man-child, but it's more like he didn't have a choice in that. And he's just sh- he's overly sheltered by his father because of his mom dying. And so he's yeah. an innocent man-child. He's doing the best he can, but he's trying. Yeah. He yeah. wants to be, he wants to grow up, but he doesn't know how to. So, mm. so he just sort of loses himself in his, in his movies and his fantasy world. So... so- just so we don't have an hour podcast of us <laughs> saying how good a movie this is, um, I'd like to start uh, saying what our least favorite things about this movie are. Um, I think one thing that kind of takes me out of this movie, and it's only very briefly, obviously, is how quickly the police force join Angel at the end. Yeah, yeah. That it was like three sentences. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But so like, after all, use that your time brains. Mistrust. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Like that was it. Yeah, like they they don't trust him for the entirety of the movie. They're making fun of him, and then all of a sudden, oh, maybe he is right. Like, okay, I can get that. But I think, I think that if it hadn't been for having the Danny character have the whole thing where he's talking about his dad right before that, I think that helped sway them because they're seeing you know his own kid doesn't even listen to him anymore that might have been I, I agree that it happens very quickly and it certainly wouldn't happen that way in Danny, reality yeah but yeah um it also kind of fits um like the movie uh adaptation mm-hmm. like it not i i say not to spoil but in a weird i guess it is um the whole premise of that movie it's like a meta movie about the writer writing the movie <laughs> and he's like oh i don't want to screw it up with like car chases and action and relationships that come together and take care like basically he didn't want this cliche Hollywood ending Mm -hmm. and then because it's like a meta movie it ends up the last (laughs) 10 minutes is like here's a car accident and then these people come together and fall in love and here's (laughs) fireworks and in a weird way I feel like Hot Fuzz was like okay we took two and a half three minutes to do all of the exposition we've got this long hour and 45 minutes of let's enjoy the town and the mystery and then okay now we're going to have this big action finish and it's like how we get there is Danny says something everyone's on board let's go yeah so it services it services the ending but it it is a little hard to swallow it's a little hand waving like don't worry about it this just makes sense trust us yeah Um, I would say the only thing and I don't even want to say, I guess it's something I didn't like, but the weakest part for me was was the ending, was the uh, the mine and blowing up the... Because to that point, 
I, you know, you check your brain at the door, you enjoy the action. It's it's over the top, but it's still believable that it could conceivably happen. It's super unlikely that uh, that that situation would ever happen, and certainly that that situation would happen with nobody actually dying from whatever yeah. injuries that they had. But you know, you, I can I can take all of that right up until like the mine explodes and blows the entire building up, but everybody survives it. That to me was like we took it one maybe one step further than it needed to go, and I think had they done that any sooner than that very exact end of the movie, I wouldn't have liked it. Yeah, it was like they bought themselves the the leeway as you're walking out the door. Okay, we we did that. Yeah, they earned the ability to like you know what we're gonna crank it to eleven here. So. But but it definitely that was probably my weakest part was just the ending and look endings are hard. I mean, there's a reason yeah. why Monty Python skits would always end with just them cutting away to somebody in a dress for no. And reason. now, for something completely different. Yeah, because yeah. ending stuff is just hard. It, all the Cornetto movies have that kind of run into that problem. Like like you were saying earlier, Shaun of the Dead just sort of the army shows up and the movie's over. Like yeah, it's hard to wrap stuff up. So. But that was for me the weakest part, Christina. Is, is this being your first viewing? What what was the weakest thing for you? I would agree. the The mind blowing up. My first thing was bullcrap. <laughs> nope, everybody's no, dead. They would either be dead or seriously injured, and nobody was even injured other than the shotgun blast to Danny. Yeah, so he he not only survived the explosion, but getting shot in the gut with a blunderbuss, like yeah. What is that dude made of? So Cornetto's baby. <laughs> Maybe he's wearing his vest. Oh, that could be. He, that moment, blood came out though. Oh, true. You could. Well, it was at it's the lower part of the gut where the jacket would not be. Yeah. Generally, so I mean, it could have caught the edge of it. Who knows? I think we're they thinking just... about this more than they did, though. <laughs> yeah, and it's definitely like they cranked a lot of other stuff in the movie to eleven. Like uh, the developer's house blowing up, yeah. um, but you know we expected him to die, and they set up his death with you know the bacon and the beans, uh, and how you know how drunk he was, and with the uh, Tim Messenger uh, with his head getting spiked was also eleven, but they also had build up to it, whereas right. literally the only build up to the police station exploding was the bomb tipping over. Yeah. Nothing else indicated that that was about to happen. Yeah. And I mean, they kept the, setup, the setups and payoffs, it, the Chekhov's mind of it, I guess. We showed a mine. We had jokes. They kept hitting it. Like, they probably felt like that's one loose end we have to tie up. Yeah. That's but it's true. like, how do you do that without relating it to... Like, if they just literally walked out to a field and blew it up and it didn't <laughs> hurt anybody, that wouldn't be as satisfying as people directly in conflict um, yeah i don't know i don't you know honestly though thinking about that i think that would have been a great way to end it like the last shot in the movie is just they take the mine out into the field and like hit it and run away it. yeah well like they're, they're taking turns trying to like yeah. yes that would be great like, like six months later and they're just standing in a field hitting it and like nothing's happening and the other one comes up and hits it and nothing happens and then all of a sudden they hear it tick and they do that run again one guy so, hits the, the timer just right or the little, like, of, detonator pin. Instead of having to buy ice cream or cake, it's like, oh, you get an infraction. You're going to go press one of those plungers in. It's like, <laughs> it's like reverse Jenga. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. 
<laughs> I was like, there's only one left. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, no, I, um, yeah. Uh, I've, I'm running out of things to say about the movie other than just keep praising it. I just love this movie so much. It deserves it. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Uh, you know, because the last movie we, we watched that you hadn't seen, um, you weren't uh, the biggest fan of. So that was just not my type of story. Yep. That being Fight Club for it's interesting. keeping track at home. Uh, you you sort of knew, Christina, going into Fight Club that you, it wasn't going to be something you were going to be that into. Right. And I, I feel like because you had seen The World's End and because you had seen Shaun of the Dead, would you say you felt you were going to like this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting. I feel like when I am the person who hasn't seen them, the last one being uh, Fight Club, um, I I had heard about that movie going into it, was thinking oh, it's sort of an interesting premise, and I did unfortunately have it spoiled for me in advance. But the movie is also twenty plus years old, uh, or whatever it is these days. Um, but it's also interesting just watching it play out, even if you do know it. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm looking forward to a movie for this series where I have zero expectations and I just don't know what that movie is yet. Well, I was going to say you're talking about, so like, I guess the fight club versus hot fuzz of it. Um, there are movies, two movies that are often compared. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Danny was actually Nicholas angel the whole time. No, (laughs) Uh, no, no, actually it's the other way around. Nicholas angel was the Tyler Durden to Danny. There you go. And this was him coming to terms with what his dad was doing. No, anyway. <laughs> anyway, we sent you home with that stunning analysis. <laughs> no, um, I, I was going to say, the, for, the, for this podcast, there are movies that we're aware of that we've just made zero effort to seek out. And then there's movies that we've heard about that we just haven't had the chance to see. And I think mm-hmm. seeking out a movie, like if, if, if something was brought up here and I'm like, I've had zero interest in this movie for 10 years, but yeah, I'll watch it for this may not be great for conversation, but like, Oh yeah, I just haven't seen that would probably be a bit more effective. Yeah. And I think, I think that to your point, that is exactly what happened here because I know Christina, you'd said you'd wanted to watch it. It just never was, was the type of like you own the movie, you own this movie and you just never got a chance to watch it. Whereas Fight Club was one that you didn't really have any interest in. So yep. it isn't it it's to me interesting to see that kind of um trade uh, not trade off but uh that just how that works how how expectations can change your viewing of a movie. Um you know it was kind of like my most movies I've gone into in a theater and come out of hating were that it was expectations were not met, you know, whether it was, um, uh, wild, wild west or <laughs> what can we do? wild, wild west coast. Jim west. No, you don't want Nato. None but, of this. Uh, stunting this brother running this Buffalo soldier. Look, it's like a okay, post. That... <laughs> All right. I need a mute button for you. <laughs> um, but then, then I think about it and like battlefield earth, I had no expectations for, and I still hated that. So, um, uh, oh, Battlefield Earth. I thought you were thinking of the Jaden Smith, Will Smith one. You're like, oh, After Earth? Just, no, I've never, yeah. I've never <laughs> seen that. 
<laughs> like that would be one that dude, just stop see seeing Will Smith movies. movies. Yeah. Uh, Will Smith movies aren't really that bad. It's the Jaden one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just like when I went in to see uh, what was it, Hereditary or whatever, something like that, the horror movie. Yeah. I, it, everything was laid out on the table, and I I saw the story unfold, you know, hours before they completed it, and I was like. I want to walk out of the store right or the the theater right now. I was actually visibly upset from that movie, and I went in with you know, hey, it's a horror movie. I love horror movies. Let's see how this goes. And it was just everything about that movie was horrible, and yet apparently a lot of people enjoyed it. I was going to say, I thought that movie was super well reviewed. It, it was. was. I felt the same as you because I I went in. There were two key moments in the movie that pulled me out like the movie kept moving at a pace and i'm sitting there thinking in my head wait a minute if that's happening then blah 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 blah. and then i catch back to the movie and i'm like oh i've lost them (laughs) there was two moments in particular that i disconnected from the movie and i'm just bored watching it play out and i literally was like do i just i think i had my movie pass at that time so i was like i don't really need to see the end of this and then (laughs) ann dowd came in and i'm like oh i forgot she was in this oh i'll watch her scenes even though she's such an evil person in the movie. <laughs> but yeah, I'll enjoy her scenes and then keep watching the rest of it play out. The only movie I ever wanted to walk out of was the new uh, Wrinkle in Time movie with uh, Oprah. Mm. I didn't see that. I haven't seen that. Don't. I, I stayed away from it. Don't. Um, and, it, you know, it didn't get great reviews. And I had read the book and was like, yeah, maybe they'll, maybe it'll be okay. There are they are the exception to the rule, but there are occasionally good movie adaptations of books, mm. and, like Fight Club. Um, but man, just like like every other thing that happened in the movie made me go ugh, or just roll my eyes. And at the time, <laughs> I lived in Hawaii, and it was. It was air conditioned, which was the reason I did not leave. <laughs> and that is not a joke. Uh, that movie just rubbed me the wrong way. And so, okay, so you managed. I, I had zero expectations going in. So you managed to stick that out. So that means that you've never walked out of a movie. I have never walked out of them. Had it had you not been in Hawaii, that that number would actually be a one. You would have walked out of. Well, of... honestly, I don't know because Bridget was there, yeah. and I I may have. I may have hung just with her. Well, Christina, have you ever walked out on a movie? No, but that one was going to be my first one. Wrinkle <laughs> in Time? No, Hereditary. Oh, oh okay. I, I, I stuck it out because I wanted to see if my my hypothesis was correct, and it was vindicated. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> I think, uh, fortunately. <laughs> they executed the end of Hereditary well enough to make it entertaining, though. I don't know. If you say so. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have a hereditary. I saw it. I saw that ending 30 minutes into the film. Yeah. Well, and so I'm sitting there fidgeting the whole time from that point. (laughs) Do I get up and leave? Do I get up and leave? Uh, And they didn't do anything to misdirect like Edgar Wright would have done. They just kind of like said, no, we're just following this one path. Hmm. Man, it's a, Travis, it's amazing that, I, that that movie reviewed as well as it did. Then, for the way you're it's describing, it's got a ninety on Metacritic. Wow. Well, 
We'll have to watch that at some point because I've never seen it. Again, it's it's a personal opinion. I mean, everybody's welcome to enjoy what they want. It's just when I go into a horror movie, there's certain expectations, and I want twists. There was yeah. no twist. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, Travis, I, I have a feeling you're about to tell us what the movie you walked out of was. Actually, I was going to ask Josh what what if if anything he's ever walked out of. Ace Ventura uh, two. <laughs> That's you, my you, bold you, guess. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> well. I, I, I'm trying to think. There's, I don't think I've ever walked out of a movie because um, usually it's just like I paid to see this. And actually, I I remember I had a really bad headache the other day, and every time I have a really bad headache, I remember seeing the core oh. in the theater <laughs> uh, because I was in film school, um, and our friend Matt Travis is. Travis knows Matt. Um, mm-hmm. He was down, and he had some friends down, and we all went to go see it. And I was in the middle of a row, and I, I had ridden <laughs> with people to the theater. Oh. I had this awful headache, and I think we were like four rows from the front, so I was like oh, right there, looking up. Yeah, it was, the worst. Worst. it was a terrible movie, <laughs> but it was also an awful experience. I would have left, but I couldn't. Um, but there's two. I think the first time I watched the talented Mr. Ripley, the the more recent one. Mm-hmm. Um, the Matt Damon one. Yeah, I was just so bored out of my mind. <laughs> I tried to I tried to watch it like three times and I couldn't get through it. I finally <laughs> did. And then there was a movie, a Jack Nicholson movie called The Shields or something. I don't know. It was like oh, 2003, 2004. I had rented it. I got ten minutes into it. I paused it to get a drink and I just returned it the next day. <laughs> I was just not into it. <laughs> nope. Um, so one, I did see Ace Ventura two in the theater, David. Um, yes, but I did. Not I know you've told me before, and I can't remember what your movie. I did is. not walk out of it. So there's only been one movie that I've I, I've never walked out on a film. Um, I kind of have the same mentality that Josh has, where it's like I paid for it, I'm going to be here. Um, I wanted to walk out of Wild Wild West, uh, and I say that having sat through GI Joe: The Rise of Cobra, <laughs> which lost me. The new one? Yes. It that came out long after Wild Wild West, though. It did, but they—I <laughs> didn't even walk out of that, and they lost. Like I gave up on that movie, but I looked, and I'm like, I've only got ten minutes left. I can sit here because was that the second one? That was made? the first one, and where they lost me was when they were underneath the uh, glacier, and then they said, "We're going to blow the glacier," and it made all the smaller chunks of ice sink. <laughs> Yeah, and I literally yeah. out loud in the theater. I just I leaned back in my chair. I'm like, "You've lost me. We're done here." And but you know, it was ten minutes of the movie left, so I just sat. I sat through it. Was that um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt? He was in that. that yep. Yeah. <laughs> I forget about that. Yeah, I uh, I actually because of how bad that was. And here's the thing: so Stephen Summers directed that. So I went into it with that mentality of like, this is the guy that made the mummy and the mummy returns. Like check my oh. brain. I'm going to leave it in the car. I'm not I even going to take my, up. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even going to take my brain with me into the theater. And I still was upset because you can only suspend your disbelief so far. And that movie really, really, Oh my God. I'm looking at the cast from this and I'm like, there were so they, many people. How in did that they movie? mess this up? Yeah. Uh, so I'm we, not going to try and pronounce his last name, but that, uh, Adewale. Uh, Adewale. Yep. yep. Uh, Christopher Eccleston, mm-hmm. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Christopher Eccleston is the only thing about that movie Dennis that was Quaid. worth anything. Ray Park, Darth oh. Maul, 
as Snake Eyes. Well, okay, Ray Park. Jonathan Price. He's in. Ray Park's more of a physical actor than a. Right, you don't see Ray Park. I mean, yeah, but he's cool. Right, he is. No, Channing Tatum, Marlon Wayans. Yeah, that was when uh, Hollywood was trying to make Marlon Wayans a thing, and that didn't work. (laughs) And then his brother's a thing. (laughs) All of his brothers are things. Yeah, except him. It, although I will say that um, Keenan Ivory Wayans did do an action movie that I thought was underrated. Oh, that's um, a great movie. What was that movie called? I'm oh. going to get you, sucker. No, that's not the oh. one I'm thinking of. But um, Wasn't but it? That's not what I was thinking of. Uh, let me see. Keenan Ivory Wayans. Sure, I'm, pronoun- I'm spelling that right. W-A-Y-A-N-S. That's close. Um so it's not definitely not white chicks. Um, it was mid nineties. Not writer. He didn't. He's an actor. Um, and I will say this: it's not a most wanted. Was not a good movie, but it was kind of underrated as just your generic action movie. Like he was some kind of marine special forces on death row type guy. Uh, it's got John Voight. Um, Again, not a good movie, but underrated. So, you know, the Wayans, at least some of the Wayans's, can do uh, stuff that isn't white chicks. Um, but Marlon is not <laughs> well, one of them, in my opinion. I think Damon Wayans' son is doing good stuff. Oh, yeah. Damon Wayans Jr. He is, I like everything I see him in. Or Mar- is it Marlon's son? Uh, no, it's Damon Wayans Jr. Okay, yeah. yeah. Oh, he was great on Happy Endings, and then New Girl, obviously. But New Girl is phenomenal. Yeah. This has been a great hot fuzz twenty minutes. <laughs> 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 eh, you know what yeah. happens. Uh, we never know where the conversation uh, will go, but that is probably a, a good point to wrap things up. So, um, yeah, no, I hot fuzz, great movie, um, holds up. I. Josh, I think you put it was either on Facebook or Twitter. I saw you said something to the effect <laughs> of like uh, the the year that or the the day that Hot Fuzz doesn't hold up is the day I don't want to be on this planet anymore or something. Yeah, if there ever comes a time where Hot Fuzz doesn't hold up, I don't want to live in it. <laughs> yeah, I I one hundred percent agree with you on that. I don't think. I mean, culturally, I think if we get to like a crazy Star Trek space age, it might not hold up. Then they'll view it as like a vintage historic thing just because they can't relate to like yeah. guns and violence, but it it brings everything it needs to the table. We hope they can't relate yeah. to guns and well, violence. <laughs> Given but, all of those movies, we'll all be dead at the end anyway, so. True. No, I just, I, I think this, for me, is like, um, you know, as a comedy, is like watching uh, Ghostbusters or Blazing Saddles. You know, something that is I mean Ghostbusters really is from before my time even though I was alive when it came out you know it came out I was 3 years old mm. but I can watch that still and it's still funny 30 plus years later Blazing Saddles while it couldn't be made today the way that it was is still funny 40 something years on I feel like Hot Fuzz can be that same thing and I hope that it stays that relevant and that funny because it's so well done yeah. So uh, I want to thank all of you guys for joining me this week. Um, 
it was uh, it was a good conversation, and uh, I look forward to um, more. And now next week, we are doing uh, actually part three of the Cornetto trilogy. I wanted to do all three movies, but I could not find anybody that hasn't seen Shaun of the Dead. Everybody I know has seen that movie. And um, such, a terrible, really long such time. a terrible thing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Everyone's seen it. But uh, I do have a couple people that have not seen The World's End. Um, so we are going to be doing that again, or not again, but we are going to be uh, talking about that movie next week. Um, so, yeah, uh, come back next week and hear us talk about yet another Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, and Nick Frost movie, The World's Plug End. Plug the website. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Uh, you can find this show and subscribe to it at tvstravis.com. We're also on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or you know pretty much anywhere else you can find podcasts. Uh, just search for Wait, You Haven't Seen. Um, but the, the easiest way is go right to the website, click the subscribe button, and uh, you can uh, be notified when we put out new episodes, usually once a week. Uh, how many question marks is that? Uh, there's just one. Oh, okay. There's a lot of dots between. Wait, scenes. you haven't Let's seen? See. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so until the next time, uh, I want to thank Christina. Hello. Goodbye. And, <laughs> and David. Our reservoir. And Josh. I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> and this has been Wait, You Haven't Seen. We'll see you next time. not be a man of God, but surely you're a man of peace. I may not be a man of God, Reverend, but I know right and I know wrong. And I have the good grace to know which is which. Oh, fuck off, grasshopper.